Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I've kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Those are verses 17 to 24 of Psalm 119, the first 24 verses of which are the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, July the 12th, 2022. Thank you for listening to Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm your host, John Green. We are continuing in the Messianic Prophecies from Isaiah, also in the um, letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, chapter 2, the first 10 verses, and then in Matthew's Gospel, the first chapter, verses 29 or Mark's gospel, sorry, verses 29 to 45. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, then let them speak. Let us draw together, draw near for judgment. So there's a coming together to hear the Lord's word and his judgment on things. And so the coastlands, remember, Israel is a landlocked nation, so it, the coastlands are stretching the boundaries, and, and, and it's a, a word to the Gentiles as well, is the point of that statement. Who stirred up one from the east, whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. And the, the point is, is that, that nothing happens that he doesn't uh, allow to happen. So, so he, ultimately, the Lord is in control of all things, and so they, they're unable to stand against him. He pursues them and passes on safely by paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. It's the same basic statement that, that you see in the book of the Revelation where he says is that I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And it, it, it's, he is the one who oversees, superintends all of history from beginning to end. And there's something that's remarkably comforting in knowing that there is an eternal one who understands and knows and who sees beyond the present, who, who has a long view of all things. It's a, a remarkably comforting thing to know because we, we know then that everything doesn't rise and fall based on us. And to know that he is sovereign over all things then gives us the confidence that we need to navigate this world knowing that there's one in charge who is great and good. And those are important things for us to remember and to know all the time. doesn't mean we don't have a part to play, because we do. Just in the same way that Nebuchadnezzar had a part to play, the same way that Cyrus and Darius had parts to play, the same way that Pharaoh had parts to play. But the other side of it is we can either be used to play our part wittingly or unwittingly, like those men that I just mentioned, who, who weren't aware that God was sovereign over all things. And so to the extent that we do that and cooperate with his will intentionally, then we can see him do great things. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. 
The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths with a hammer him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, It's good, and they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you, whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corner, saying to you, You're my servant, I've chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So you don't have to take strength and encouragement from your neighbors, and you don't have to trust in the work of the craftsman. You're strengthened and encouraged by the presence of God, the presence of God in you, if you're a Christian, that because he has given you his Holy Spirit, and it's there for strength, and it's there for comfort, it's there for peace. There's a reason that the Holy Spirit dwells within you, and, and it's to give you all those comforts. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It's I who say to you, fear not, I'm the one who helps you. There's no greater comfort, right, than than one who is eternal and sovereign, saying that to you and saying, I am with you that you, you can have all the confidence in the world. Not in the outcome in, in a measurable earthly way, but in the ultimate outcome. You know that, that our enemies will be scattered and they will be judged and they will be found wanting and ultimately his will will prevail and his kingdom will come. So in the meantime... We are to show what it means to live under his good and gracious rule. And so we do that by submitting our lives to him and by allowing ourselves to have different priorities and different hopes and dreams and a different courage and a different peace, especially in times like those we live in today. Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold. Threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them, and you shall make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the tempest shall scatter them, and you shall rejoice in the Lord. In the Holy One of Israel you shall glory. It's a great promise from the Lord that ultimately we win. Uh, Israel does come back from the exile into which he had sent them into Babylon. And so we know that that happens. And then for a season of time, they have a relative peace, although they're under foreign rule. They're in the land. They have the temple, but they're not masters of their own destiny and masters even of their own land. They're beholden to a greater power over them. And by the time of Jesus, most of the leaders actually had made a relative peace with their Roman overlords. They were no longer chafing against that rule. They had come through the period of the Maccabees a while before that, and then ultimately there will be another uprising about 35 years after the, the life of Jesus. But they have come to an, a, a truce of sorts, I guess, with their Roman overlords who allowed them to practice their religion unmolested. 
And so the, the problem becomes we can become tame. And that's not the point of God's people is not that we would be tamed by the world. It, it would be that our point and purpose would be that we would be there to reveal God's glory to the world. And that's exactly what this passage from Isaiah says is that ultimately that God will be glorified in all the earth. Now, the question is, do we want that? Do we want the coming of the kingdom? Or are we more or less satisfied with the way things are in our lives today? We should be dissatisfied. If we are satisfied, we should be dissatisfied because we should recognize that it's not true for everybody. And so as long as there's that issue that people are being persecuted around the world, that people are being uh, are under oppressive regimes around the world, those things should trouble us so that we should never be fully satisfied because we know that no matter how good things are in our lives, we know that because we live in this fallen, busted, and broken world, that, that it's not true for all. In the gospel today, Jesus had been up in Capernaum, remember, and spoken in the synagogue, and he left immediately, of course, and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. It's just no big deal, right? I mean, immediately they told him about it, and so he came and, well, he lifted her up, and everything was fine. Uh, So we see this healing in the house. And then at sundown, they, the people in the surrounding area, brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Again, he doesn't want or need the testimony of demons because these spirits are lying spirits as well. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So he's alone. And remember, yesterday he had been driven into the wilderness by the Spirit. Here's a similar kind of situation where he's out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So Jesus is saying, you know, I I didn't come to be a celebrity in a spot. Um, So he has a a ministry that that is intentionally broad in the sense that that it draws a lot of attention to itself, but it's it's making uh, demonstrable proofs in all these places. Nobody has to take the word of these people who live in Capernaum for what Jesus is doing and what God's doing through Jesus. No, he goes to these places for two reasons. One is to heal these people and to drive these demons out, but the second thing is so that everybody can have a first-hand account. They had their opportunity to see and to witness and then to make their decision about this. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, lepers had to to warn people that they were lepers so that they didn't come close to them in case they would also contract that leprosy. And so this one comes and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. And this, that, just the first time I realized that what was going on there, it just absolutely blew me away that, that this guy has to tell people not to touch him. And the first thing Jesus does is touch him. And so this is the thing that this guy has lacked. And there's a restoration of his humanity 
that comes in with that touch. And he says, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof for them. Now, so what he's telling them to do here is the only way this person can be restored to the fellowship of God's people, because they've not been able to participate in either synagogue or temple, they can't go to Jerusalem, they can't go into society, they wouldn't be welcome in anyone's home. So the the only way to, to move forward from that, once you've been made clean, is to go and have the priest certify that you no longer display any of the symptoms of this thing. So it's like you've quarantined for 10 days with COVID, and yet it, it, you still have one more threshold to, to get past, right? You've got to get past the priest who has to examine you and say, yep, this person's free now of that. And then what you have to do is, what he says is, offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, so the, the, what that is, is a sin offering, that has to be brought. I don't want to get too much into that issue right now, but the way that a lot of rabbis understand this leprosy that we see here is is that it had to do with sin, and it's particularly the sin of essentially gossiping, which is going to be destructive of community. And so they believe that this is only possible in the land and and nowhere else, because the way that the law reads kind of says that thing. But but you've got to make a sin offering. It's the only sort of physical condition which requires a sin offering to, to make it right at the end of the day. And so Jesus here says, go make the offering that is required. Well, why would Jesus do that? Well, it's because he wanted to see this guy restored to fellowship, and at the same time, that that the um, he has not yet fulfilled all of the law, and so his sacrifice hasn't been made. It, it, had this come afterwards, this guy wouldn't have been required to do that at all because you don't go to the temple, and those things can be cleansed, and you can be made whole without offering a sin offering for this. And so that this leprosy is not something you see listed anywhere in the book of Acts or any of the other letters that Paul wrote. But he went out, he, the leper, went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was in a desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter because he'd be overrun wherever he went because people wanted to see this wonder worker, this, this miracle worker guy. In the epistle today, Paul says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He doesn't say you're dying. He says you were dead. You were a dead person walking. You were like a zombie. You're like a, um, you know, in the walking dead. That's actually what you were. It didn't seem that way to you because you felt alive, but you were dead. You were spiritually dead in your trespasses. And that means eternally dead. It, it, It doesn't mean you were dying. It doesn't mean somebody could throw you a life preserver and you could grab hold of that. No. That's not what happened at all. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is one of those things. I, I had an argument with somebody 
recently about this, that, that they see and believe that we are all children of God. And my point is, is that that's not what Scripture says at all. It says we were created in the image of God, but John says we, ha- we, we received the right to become children of God. Well, the only way you can become something is if you weren't before. And so he, he says the rest of mankind, like them, prior to receiving life, we were by nature children of wrath, not children of God, because God's children aren't objects of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, because the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. In other words, God did all the work necessary to make you alive. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By saying those two things together, it rules out every other option for how we were saved. We were made alive by God, by grace. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So he has lifted us up into the heavenly places with Christ in order that in the coming ages, over time, throughout eternity, He can show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness to us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And lest you believe that that faith is a work of your own, Paul immediately says, and this is not of your own doing. This refers to faith and salvation. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. So even faith is a gift, not a work. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So which what I was saying before is we have an option, right, to be used by God wittingly or unwittingly. And so what we have said that in Christ he has prepared us for good works, and now it's our joy to cooperate with him in those and to celebrate what he does through the good works that he does in our lives and through our lives, as opposed to standing and being astonished or taking any credit for that good work, that we can stand amazed at what God's done through such fragile and weak things as us.